Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. And we're on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Last week, we began a series on hope and belief. This week, we're back with part one to talk about Casablanca, an absolute classic. Casablanca is a microcosm for the human experience. Whether you're in World War II or in 2022, Casablanca has become something that we all can relate to. You know, whether it's the quotes, knock on wood of all the gin joints in all the towns, dot, 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 I stick my neck out for no one, or whether it's the actual concepts and the story arcs that have been played out over and over again in our favorite movies ever since. In part one, we're going to talk about how to scale hope. This, again, always seems to be at the core of the human experience. We get into situations where we have a lot of pain, a lot of strife, and we find ourselves either becoming more magnanimous or shrinking down the size of our world in order to protect ourselves and feel more comfortable. Rick starts out in France. He has some pain as he's leaving. He goes to Casablanca and he shuts himself in, basically, in his saloon. He makes for himself the smallest world possible, a world where he can control a world where he has all the comforts that he needs he doesn't have to think about any larger mission or purpose and with that small world comes a lack of hope rick has reached a local maxima in terms of joy and happiness and he's convinced himself that that's good enough that that's the global maxima and don't we all find ourselves in that situation sometimes where it just seems easier to just stay at the current local maxima versus going and searching for the global maxima that can be so much more rewarding and can help so many people out. So in this episode, we want to talk about can we be magnanimous in a small world like Rick finds himself in in Casablanca, which is in and of itself a small world with the saloon being an even smaller world. And really, when we find ourselves and others in that situation, how do we break ourselves out of Casablanca and how do we attach ourselves back to the greater mission and the greater hope that we need as magnanimous leaders? Welcome to Wonder Tour. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is Brian. I'm back here with Drew for another exciting episode. I've been really looking forward to this one. Uh, Casablanca is one of my favorite movies, uh, which I'm sure you'll sense as we go along here. Before we get started uh, talking about the kind of the character archetypes and the magnanimous leader lessons, though, I did want to share a little bit of historical and cultural context for this movie because I think it's relevant. And there's two elements to this. Um, one is sort of the necessary caveats up front. So if you've watched this movie any time in the 21st century, there's a couple of uh, really cringeworthy moments around the way that they treated racism and sexism and some other elements in the movie. The piano player Sam having to call everybody Mr. and Mrs. and them calling him boy is obviously something that is fingernails on chalkboard or worse in our modern sensibilities and fortunately isn't the way Hollywood portrays things anymore. And similarly, there's some stuff. My wife, who's a very accomplished professional woman, has a really hard time with the you have to do the thinking for both of us line from Ilsa. So again, maybe not the way we would pitch it anymore, but not excusing those things at all. They're an accurate picture of how Hollywood represented things in 1942, but that's 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 there, and we want to just kind of point that out. The other historical context that I want to talk about, though, is that the actual time when this movie was made. So this was released in 1942, when uh, in the famous, you know, of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world scene with, with Bogart, one of his lines there is, it's December 1941 in Casablanca, what time is it in New York? And it's kind of a funny line from a drunk guy. 
But if we think about what else happened in December 1941 in the U.S., that's the incident of Pearl Harbor, right? When this movie came out in August of 1942, the U.S. had just entered World War II, had literally just invaded North Africa. The entire continent of Europe was still under Nazi control. And today, when we talk about World War II and we think about it, when we see movies about it, it's got this mythic arc to it of the good versus evil and the good inherently triumphing because of their moral and technical superiority and all of the changes in the world order and all the things that have happened in the 80 years since then. We sort of take those for granted, like that's the inevitable endpoint of a World War II movie. If you made a World War II movie in 1942, that was not the inevitable endpoint. The Nazis were winning. The Americans had been agonizing for years about whether or not to be involved in helping the people that were suffering, whether or not to be involved in this global struggle, and only got involved because they were personally attacked. And so at that very moment, when they were making this movie, when this script was written, when these, when these actors are acting this movie out, they knew that America had decided to join the war, but it was not yet clear that it was going to turn out well. And one of the nuggets that I love just thinking about that was a result of this historical context is that if you look at this movie closely, there are basically no young men on screen. All of the main actors are middle-aged. And that's because all the young men got drafted and went to war. <laughs> like They were making this movie in Los Angeles at 42, and they didn't have a lot of young men available to them. But even more than that, the scene in the saloon where they have the dueling anthems, where the Germans are singing their national anthem, and then Laszlo encourages everybody to sing the, the French anthem, La Marseillaise, is quite an emotional scene. Most of the extras in that scene were actually European refugees. They were actually crying because they were actually really emotionally touched and upset by this moment. Because the place where they were in their lives, the place the world was in, was a legitimate struggle between worldviews, was a legitimate challenge for everyone to decide what did they stand for and how they, were they going to engage with it without any promise that it was going to come out well. So I'll get off of my soapbox now. But one of the things I love about this movie is that for all the things in it that are a little bit clunky or a little bit dated, the sincerity is palpable. And, you know, when we have these lines like, I know we're going to win this time, they didn't actually know that. It was a movie made about hope. It was a movie made with hope when that wasn't the guaranteed outcome. And that, to me, is really powerful and really informs the sequence of events and the struggles of the characters. Awesome, Brian. Thanks for giving us that background. I think it's critical that we kind of get in front of some of that stuff so that it doesn't sound insignificant when we take this and talk about business or something like that. Because on Wonder Tour, we believe that these wonderful stories, these great nuggets of wisdom can be applied across history. And so for us to be able to go back to 1942 and learn some lessons here and be able to continue to apply them in the 2020s, I think is so important that we can't lose sight of that. Yes, this has global significance and we can't in our current time even fathom necessarily what that quite was culturally. But on the flip side, we can't throw it away and we shouldn't say, OK, well, just because of that, we, we shouldn't investigate it. We shouldn't do a wonder tour on it. I liken it to Star Wars a little bit, because Star Wars is kind of the middle ground, right? A New Hope, Episode 4, whatever you want to call it, where Lucas is clearly influenced by this movie, and he wants to do something similar. He wants to bring hope to people at a time when people needed hope, and he does it by going back to the World War II. He uses a yeah. lot of shading of World War II in the original Star Wars. Yeah, no, all the all the whole sequence of the X-Wing battle at the end is exactly like a 12 o'clock high, like World War II air combat. You know, it's like these myth, this story, this was so resonated, especially people like Lucas's age who grew up in the immediate aftermath of the war. 
that this was just this mythology was available to us. But we see more modern echoes of it, too. Right. We talked about earlier off mic in the Marvel series. Right. The challenge of, you know, Thanos is going to wipe out half the world and we have to fight them and I have to personally motivate myself. Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, Tony Stark's arc is not dissimilar from Rick's, right? Is this challenge of sort of the person who's been knocked down and has to get back up again and go fight the impossible fight. It still resonates down through the mythology. So maybe kind of a fun place to start there. Let's talk a little bit about Rick himself, kind of his character and his state of mind and what he's adapted to. Because this is not a young man going off an adventure sort of a story, right? It starts with him in a fixed mindset deep into his middle age. You know, he's made some decisions about who he wants to be and why. Yeah, and that starts us on our tagline for this episode, how to scale hope. So Rick really finds himself in a hole, or at least we find him in a hole. And then we get the flashbacks in order to explain how he got in the hole that he's in. And that hole is Casablanca. And it's not to derade Casablanca necessarily, but the whole point of Casablanca in this movie is it's a microcosm of the overall world. It's a microcosm of the global conflict. You have all these different nationalities that are clashing here in kind of stereotypical ways based on what was happening at the time. And what you end up seeing out of that is not, again, stuck back in 1942 necessarily. That microcosm is still pretty true of our experience today. When we have love lost, when we get left at the altar, you know, for us, it might not be quite left at the altar. For some people, it literally is being left at the altar, <laughs> just like Rick was. There is a huge, huge impact to us, and there is a decision that we can make. You know, we can process the pain and let the world continue to grow larger and let it drive our mission and become that kind of positive chip on the shoulder that we talk about, that we carry forward, or we can retreat to safety, retreat to comfort. And that's kind of what Rick does here. He goes into Casablanca and he finds himself within Casablanca inside Rick's place, the saloon, which he just insulates himself with the walls with the gambling, the Patreons, with Sam, with, you know, it all kind of forms up this Rick environment that allows him to not think about the outside world and not have to worry about the fact that he's not doing anything to make it better. Yeah, absolutely. And we get these, like you said, the flashbacks, and they they very skillfully drop some nuggets in there where his friend Captain Reno is like sort of accusing him of being a sentimentalist. And we find out that Rick was literally a freedom fighter. Like he was an American who volunteered to go fight against the fascists in a couple different contexts in earlier conflicts and wasn't successful. They lost both those conflicts. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't able to make the world better than the way he thought. So he kind of gave up and he went to Paris and he was like, anyway, the Germans are going to catch me and it's fine. Then he falls in love and then that doesn't work out. And so he's just become terribly cynical and terribly self-interested. And so he's in this place, Casablanca, which is this wonderful small world environment, which is a combination of the people that have chosen to be there have all chosen to be there to basically just take care of themselves, right? They're perfectly adapted to that environment. So Rick and Captain Reno and the, the pickpocket characters and the guy who runs the Blue Parrot and, you know, all these, these characters, they're making the best of the situation by just taking care of themselves, by sticking their necks out for no one. Everybody else in Casablanca is a refugee, and they view it as a place of hope because they want to be able to get out of Europe, get away from the conflict, but they view it as a place of frustration because most of them can't, right? It's very much of a fixed mindset. There's only so many exit visas to go around, and not everybody can get one, and so you're kind of stuck in this environment. So Rick's found a way to survive by basically providing small comforts to other people, which is about all he's allowing himself. He runs a place that has alcohol and it has gambling and it has musical entertainment. It's got Sam and a, and a band. Um, and those are all genuine moments of joy, especially the music. 
Sam is portrayed not as a very complex character. He is a character who is who generally makes people around him happy, right? He's providing like in the small world, regardless of what else is going on in the bigger world, Sam's there to just, you know, make sure we can at least remember to have a good time. You know, but that's all that's the extent of Rick's ambitions at this point. And it's very clear that he has dialed those ambitions way back. So Casablanca, to some people, it's the bottleneck, right? They're trying to get their visa. They're trying to get their transit pass out. And it's a bottleneck to them, right? And to other people, it's the edges of a container that they're choosing to be in because people like Rick or Renault, they could get out. They have money. They have power. But they're choosing to stay there because they do not want to engage with the outside world because that introduces risk of pain, that introduces risk of failure, and they just don't want to deal with that at this point in their lives. They've done enough of that in the past, and they're out on helping other people, basically. Or in Rick's case, maybe he's willing to help people, but only marginally. Yeah, he's wearing the armor of, I don't help other people, right? (laughs) You know, like, I'm purely self-interested. One note that I liked was just he's got his name on the outside of the building like he's not shy. He's not hiding. He's there. But every character calls him something different. He's Rick. He's Richard. He's Ricky. He's Hair Rick. He's Monsieur Rick. He's the boss. He's like all of these like he's kind of just trying to figure out how to navigate this world and, you know, give people what they need. So they leave him alone and let him just do his thing. And so that's where he's this kind of fixed character at the beginning of the movie. And what happens, of course, in the events in the movie are is that that comfortable state gets severely disrupted in several ways. So the first thing that happens is that we find out that some German couriers have been murdered and the MacGuffin is on the loose. There's some letters of transit running around that are a get out of jail free card. The second thing that happens are that the Germans show up. So the Nazis are actually on scene. And then the third thing that happens is that Victor Laszlo and his wife show up, Victor being a famous freedom fighter of the type that maybe, you know, Rick had once aspired to be. And Victor Laszlo's female companion turns out to be Ilsa, Rick's lost love from his time in Paris. And so as all these disruptions are happening, what's effectively happening is that Rick is getting challenged to maintain his equanimity, to maintain his armor of I don't care about anything. You know, I don't care about anybody else. I just need to take care of myself. That becomes increasingly difficult as the stakes are raised and as more and more emotional lovers are pulled. So, yes, I think we should. This is the point to talk about our our mountaintop moment for the first half. Do you want to set us up for this one? Yeah. So we get this mountaintop moment where we have this Bulgarian woman that comes into Rick's and she doesn't have very much money. She's there with her husband. They got married eight weeks ago or whatever. And they're trying to gamble their way to get enough money to get a visa to get out. They want to be on the plane the next night or whatever. She is coming to Rick really searching for wisdom. She has already talked to Renault, and she knows that there is a way, even if she doesn't have any money. But she knows that it would be kind of letting herself down, letting her husband down, and even letting Renault down morally. (laughs) So she's not really... You can tell she's very hesitant, and she's looking for affirmation. She's looking for somebody to tell her that the end justifies the means. Yeah, if you can get out of here, is doing a bad thing okay? And this is kind of the first moment that we get with Rick. You know, we don't know what happens before all of this action that we get, but this is our first moment where he thinks a little bit bigger than the saloon, right? He's thinking about the plane that's going to leave. He's thinking about America. He's thinking about these other people. So, Brian, how does this resonate with you, kind of this Bulgarian woman's search for wisdom and the test that it poses to Rick in helping her or not helping her? Yeah, you described it exactly right. It's the first test, right? It's the small test that he has to pass that that challenges him. 
he's made a world where he doesn't have to make difficult decisions, right? He's got people that he has to take care of. He's perfectly adapted to it. He can navigate it smoothly. He knows how to get through it. And so he's not doing the good things in the world that he maybe once aspired to, but he's not actively doing bad things. And when this woman comes to him, this young woman, and she's, you know, literally the Captain Renault, who is also perfectly adapted to Casablanca, said, sure, I'll get you an exit visa. Just, you know, maybe we'll trade a favor here. And so Rick has to not just avoid doing good things, but now he's being asked to explicitly countenance telling somebody to do a bad thing for a good reason. For a, I love my husband and I want to get us off of this continent away from the war and go raise our children in America. Her goal is good, but she's considering doing a, you know, a morally terrible thing and just eating it herself. Just, just holding on. She says, you know, what if, what if she kept it locked inside her and nobody else ever knew? Would that be okay? And Rick can't, right? You know, his initial reaction is go back to Bulgaria. Like, don't even make me make this decision for you. Like, don't even confront me with this. Like, he just wants to reject the whole situation. But then, you know, after a very short consideration without really consulting anybody, he goes in and just sort of puts his thumb on the scale and assists the uh, assist her husband in winning money at his own roulette table, basically giving them the 20,000 francs without telling them that he's giving them the 20,000 francs and sends them out the door. And so we get a number of different character reactions to this because they're all like, ah, see, I knew you were actually like actually a good guy inside. You know, Renault and the various of his employees, uh, Sasha and Carl. And he's just like, yeah, no, no, I'm just a lucky guy. Like, don't make a big deal out of this. I don't want it publicly known that this is who I am. I'm not comfortable with acting this way in public. But he couldn't let himself watch that happen, even though he's known that it's been going on. This is not like it's the first time it's ever happened. But when it came right down to it, this is another signal that his world is changing, that his stable, small world, safe little reality is not sustainable. And then he's going to have to step beyond it. And that vision to see outside. Now, this is where I want to talk about the wisdom of hope, because we've only had the one episode so far in The Force Awakens where we started talking about hope. And I think, like you said, hope is the central theme of Casablanca, hence why we've decided to touch on it now. To try to gather the wisdom of hope here, there's a conflict. Hope is not a thing without conflict. It's not this pure substance that we sometimes, maybe when we're children, make it out to be that hope is just this guiding force that's going to take us through all the challenging times in life. Because once you start to experience those challenging times, you know that, yeah, there's a conflict when somebody gets sick and dies that you love, or when somebody that you love leaves you or hurts you, you know, unless you have a firm foundation in terms of mission and purpose, hope can very quickly dissolve just like it does for Rick here. And so for me, So I want to start to understand what is our working definition of hope here? So educate me, Brian. What's your working definition of hope so far? No, this has been the fun conversation for this story, for sure, that we were kind of circling around where hope is that not necessarily I know what the end state's going to be, but I've got a direction. I've got a purpose. Going this way will make things better. I have an escape from where I am now, or I have a, a North Star to head towards. But that's the the piece that you have to hang on to. And so what we see with Rick is that he doesn't, at the beginning of this movie, he at least doesn't explicitly have any hope. He's looking at the world and going, I tried to make it better and it didn't work. I tried to find my own joy and it didn't work. That None of that stuff works. It's, it's just not there. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of the people around me, but I'm not going to really engage. So he doesn't have a purpose anymore. You know, he's like, I'm the only cause I'm interested in now. He says that explicitly. 
I think we all go through that at some point in our lives, probably in larger or smaller scenarios. It's really a part of growing as humans where we probably at least have thoughts of, you know, what if I do just make this about me? And most of us probably, like me at some points, do try that and see what what is that worth? And tragically, that can be your character flaw and is the character flaw of many humans is that you never, ever break out of the pit that Rick finds himself in. You don't break out of Casablanca. You go into Casablanca, you go into your job, you go into, you know, you come home to your house and your wife, but you don't have warm relationships, you blah, blah, blah. You know, you create your own saloon and then you just work out of that saloon. So how do we break away from that, Brian? Because that's really the narrative here is breaking out of Casablanca. No, that's perfect. That's it's possible. And so we see it with Rick, you know, with his employees and with his cafe, right? It's possible to be even a little bit magnanimous in that small world, right? I'm in this little comfortable world and we're safe and we're going to protect ourselves from everything outside, right? And I'll at least take care of the immediate people around me. But the failure mode is that, of course, you're not connected to any bigger purpose. You know, you're not aligned with any forces in the bigger world. And so those forces are going to come along and swamp you at some point. And so this movie is very much about making the decision, not only having the hope, but uh, deciding a direction to move in. And, you know, as with many, many of these great stories, right, it's about agency. It's about deciding that I personally can make something better, or at least I have to try, like doing nothing is worse. You know, the characters are able to do nothing with the, they're able to stay unaligned with the big world up until the events of this movie. And now they're being pushed out of their comfort zone. Maybe this is the point to talk about, you know, our dichotomy with hope and belief where we're starting to see the purpose, right? Rick has had the, he'd had the purpose in the past. He knows that it's still there. We're starting to see a direction that you could go and maybe why you would want to do it, right? He's, he doesn't want people suffering. He wants to relieve suffering if he can. You know, he has this moment where he does, but he doesn't know, he doesn't feel like he believes how he can act to make it better. Like he doesn't have a conviction of what should I do to get to something better? He can't picture it. He can't believe that he has the agency to do it. Somebody has to right. paint that vision for him. And that's what happens right here, right? He gets that human story from this Bulgarian woman. When the woman helps him to see the decision that has to be made, and how many times has this decision been made inside of Rick's saloon that we don't get to see it? The insinuation is that this happens every night, every week, right? This exact yep. decision is being made as people are trying to move past this bottleneck of Casablanca. And Rick is just this status quo of Casablanca. And so, I mean, this is hard truth, Brian, but if you're in Casablanca, you're not just staying in Casablanca yourself. You are holding other people in Casablanca, probably. Oh, love it. Yeah, you're right. Especially if you're in a leadership role, right? Which Rick clearly is. Rick is, you know, he, he owns a business, so he's got employees. But also he's a person that came from the outside world and has all this capability. And it's clear that he could do something more with his life. And he is choosing to stay here. And he's messaging that that's safe. He's messaging that that's the right choice. He's messaging that you shouldn't have hope in the future. You shouldn't have belief in your own abilities. He is by example and by structural role. You're right. He's holding people there, right? Casablanca you know, is a culture, man. I mean, at least in terms of what I've seen in business. This is a new idea for me, but this is Wonder Tour, baby. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we come in with these, these, everybody has seen Casablanca. And so maybe you don't want to tell the Rick of your company, hey, you know, you're creating a Casablanca here. But if you can see that and you can make that analogy, I think in the real world, that is extremely effective. 
to just name the situation and say, this department has a Casablanca complex going on. They're very much trying to sustain themselves. They're trying to put up pillows on the edges of their containers so that they don't get hurt. And they're just trying to maintain their own metrics. And how are we going to break this department out of Casablanca? Because we need to work with them, right? Or maybe worst case scenario, you're inside of a Casablanca department and you know, you're know you not Rick, you're not Renault. You don't control Casablanca. You're one of the people who has hope, but is kind of trapped inside of Casablanca and trying to get a visa out. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I love this. And so one of the ways you can tell if you're in that situation or if you are that leader is you you look for a Renault. You look for a, a leader who might be charming and might be skilled, but is clearly being forced out of alignment, is clearly being forced to say one thing to one set of people and a different thing to a different set of people. <laughs> so Renault's actually, he's the, you know, he's the archetype of the long suffering manager with, you know, who's, who's not aligned with the company's mission. Like he doesn't believe what Germany and Vichy France is saying, and he's not willing to just walk away. He still, he likes his leadership role, but he's just completely comfortably two-faced about it, right? Or he's convinced himself that that's what he's good at. But my heart is my least vulnerable spot, right? Like he, <laughs> you know, he, he trades favors for exit visas and he says one thing to the Germans and a different thing to Rick. And he's, you know, perfectly happy signing a death warrant for a guy who was murdered in his custody. Like this is totally comfortable for him. He's like, anyway, this is just the way the world works. And so I'm just adapting to it. But if you have a leader like that, if you find yourself doing those things, like compromising your own principles and pretending that it's smart and pretending that that's wisdom then you might be in Casablanca. Oh my gosh. All right. We just opened up something huge here that I think in part two, we're really going to dive into, which is, okay, now you're in Casablanca. You know all the signs of, I'm in Casablanca, I'm looking for a visa, or I'm in Casablanca, I'm Rick, (laughs) or I'm Renault. Oh crap. What do I do? I think it's time to wrap this up with some key takeaways and we'll bring it back with part two and talk about what tactics can we use to get ourselves and others out of Casablanca and back into that global conflict where we can make a difference. Right. Let's just say that one of the things that can disrupt that status quo for good or for ill, but that that we see super clearly in this movie is like that sort of leadership works fine until a real leader shows up. Victor Laszlo walks into your building and says, hey, guys. This is what's really happening in the world, and we have to be aligned with it. Like, we have to choose a side. At some point, you're going to have to choose a side. So there's the counterexample we have here is the almost too good to be true Victor Laszlo, who is incredibly magnanimous, who is incredibly selfless, who is incredibly principle-driven, who is incredibly aligning his personal actions to the big world. And whether you're that, whether you're the Renault or whether you're the employee or somebody stuck in Casablanca, When somebody like that is around, you can't help but notice the contrast. You can't help but notice how shallow the Casablanca existence really is. Oh, man. Yeah, that that stings. But we are okay with the unfortunate truths here on Wonder Tour that (laughs) maybe we're probably not going to relate as much to Laszlo as we wish that we did. And we probably maybe can see more shades of Rick or more shades of Renault or maybe Ilsa. But (laughs) We're probably less the idealistic magnanimous leader currently versus the flawed leaders that we see in the other areas. Yeah, that's okay. That's that's the starting point of Wonder Tour. Well, and regardless of who you are internally, the messaging is important, right? If you are externally wearing your moral compromises with pride, people are going to follow that. And if you're externally wearing your sacrifices with pride, people are going to model that. 
yeah, Rick is about to get big time disrupted for a variety of reasons, right? The Bulgarian woman is just the first challenge. But now he's got Victor Laszlo as an example who is admirable and in peril. He's got Ilsa, who he has extremely complex emotions about. And this is going to force this whole thing out of their fixed mindset and out of their comfortable stasis. Awesome. So we talked about having that working definition of hope being having a purpose to hold on to. We got into some starter tactics for how to get out of Casablanca, whether you're the person who lacks hope or you're the people who have hope, but you feel like you're stuck under a ceiling that you can't escape. We started out talking about you got to pass the small test first, like Rick does with the Bulgarian woman. And then, as Brian talked about, deciding on a direction to move in is critical. And that's going to lead us to the next step, which is actually breaking out of Casablanca. So, Brian, take us home. All right. Well, we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about here, and I'm really looking forward to part two of this. So we hope you join us again. This is only the beginning of our beautiful friendship with this movie. Just remember, character is destiny. 